Hi, and welcome to Where the White Coats Come Off podcast. We are Katie and Beth, PAs and doctors of medical science who are here to help you get accepted into PA school, get through PA school, and then have a thriving career as a PA. So if you are a pre-PA, a PA student, or a physician assistant, then you are in the right place. We are so happy you are here and so excited for your future. Before we get to the episode, we want to drop a note about our sponsor. Today's episode is sponsored by our book. If you are brand new to the PA career, then you definitely need to check out our book that will tell you everything you need to be a rock star, super competitive applicant. This is the tell-all go-to guide for exactly what you need to know to be the strongest candidate so you don't have to reapply the next cycle. It has all the what-to-dos and not-to-dos that we saw when we worked at PA programs and reviewed CASPA apps and interviewed candidates. It also has what prereqs to aim for and how many hours of patient care, volunteer, shadowing to get, how to get the strongest letters of recommendation, and what to do if you've made a few C's, how to pick programs so that you can get into PA school your first cycle, and so much more. We know what you need to get into PA school, so let us be your mentor and let's get you accepted. Check it out in the show notes. Now on to today's episode. Today we are interviewing Rebecca and Rachel of Meet the PAs podcast based out of Ontario. This is a podcast focusing on Canadian PAs. Welcome Rebecca and Rachel. Can you give us a background for our listeners who don't know about the healthcare system in Canada in general? We know it's different than ours. Ours is insurance-based and we know um, Canadian healthcare system is different. So just how that works. So healthcare is delivered by each province, but it's all covered so we're insured by the province that you live in so in Ontario it's called OHIP I'm not sure what it's called in Manitoba I know Manitoba Health that's yeah so you're insured by the the province so everything so doctor's visits specialty visits ER visits are all paid for by our taxes the only and then drugs are paid out of pocket or through private insurance plans that you have through your employer yeah so that's pretty much how it works you go to the doctor and you don't have to worry about getting a bill. I mean, you, most yeah. of the things are run through your primary care provider. You can't just, like, pick a cardiologist and make an appointment. Mm-hmm. It's a referral-based system. You need a referral to see a specialist outside of, like, you know, non, I guess, what do we call them? Like, elective things like plastic surgery and stuff mm-hmm. you don't need a referral for. But things that are covered under the government insurance plans, then you need a referral. So it's everything sort of done through your primary care provider is sort of the hub. And then they would do a referral, or if you're in a merge and you break something and you need a referral to an orthopedic surgeon, we do that. But you can't just pick someone and make an appointment. Okay. And so you said some and stuff I, isn't covered, like plastic surgery and stuff like that, like elective stuff? Yeah, so certain plastic surgery is covered, like if you need a scar revision or a breast reduction because of back pain or things like that. But, you know, uh, yeah, breast augmentation and tummy tucks and facelifts are generally not covered by the all the fun stuff (laughs) yeah okay and I like to tell US people because I feel like the I feel like the media attention in the states on Canada's system is that it's fully socialized and I I think that's a misnomer I think it's not really an accurate representation because as Rachel mentioned yes your visits are covered we don't have a national pharmacare plan okay so we have like something for the elderly and we have something for the young Okay, just like in the States, it'd be like your Medicare and your Medicaid. But other than that, we really don't have a national pharmacare plan. So you do need either private insurance to pay for that or be able to pay for it out of pocket if you don't qualify for our individual province Medicaid and Medicare plans. And the other things that are not typically included in the coverage would be eye and dental and PT, OT. So those things you do need 
private insurers for. It's, it would be a misnomer to say we're a fully socialized system. I mean, I really think you have to look to Europe, Sweden, Norway, the Netherlands to see those fully socialized systems. Oh, that's so we would like to see that here. We yeah. would like it, yes. <laughs> no, that's an interesting point. And because I know a big contention here is, you know, medication drugs, especially the new ones, the really expensive ones that your people who need to take 20 and they can't afford that. But I've heard, and I don't know if this is true, but I've heard that typically they're still cheaper in places like Canada. And, and I don't know if that oh, has yes. to do. Yeah, okay. Yeah, they're, they're way cheaper. And that's because our provinces, for the people who are covered, so in Ontario right now, children are covered as well as anybody over the age of 65. And then anybody that is on disability or it's called on in Ontario, it's Ontario work. So like if, you've, if you're on like employment, unemployment insurance, mm-hmm. your drugs are covered. And so that's a humongous chunk of our population. So our government can negotiate with the drug companies for better prices. And then they're sort of standardized. So they can't say like, oh, if you're getting your drugs and they're covered by OHIP, they're one price. And if you're paying out of pocket, they're mm-hmm. another. So the drug prices are, are standardized. So they are cheaper. Yeah. I mean, it is shocking how much cheaper birth control is here. Shocking. Really? It's free. You can get free birth control anywhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, like, uh, yeah. Your IUDs, I mean, you do have to pay oh, for like, yes. stuff. <laughs> but like you can go to a public health clinic here and get free birth control. Free birth control pills. It, uh, there's so much better access to birth control here, reproductive health. I would say that, yeah, all your metformins are cheaper, all your beta blockers, your, you know, insulin, your standard common things that the bulk of chronic disease requires Mm -hmm. is so much cheaper here. Uh, What's the stuff that's not cheaper is all your new really expensive stuff. So chemo, all of the new biologics for, for autoimmune diseases, they're about the same price as well. Um, so your new stuff is still expensive. But if you remove that exp- those newer drugs, looking at the really expensive newer drugs, and you look at the bulk of medicine people need, it is by far cheaper. Yeah, that's really great because as Rachel alluded to, it, you know, in our country, it's like whatever insurance you have makes their own deal with the drug companies. And so, you know, you might be paying 10 bucks and someone else is paying $200 or cash pay is paying, you know, 150 for the same medication. It's because you don't have that bargaining power if you're cash pay here, which is the opposite of what you would think. Like cash pay, you think you'd pay the least, but you're right because your government can bargain and everybody gets the same price. And I think that that's, that's really nice and it does help keep the cost down because ours is insurances make their own deals. So one beta blocker might be really cheap on your insurance and the next one is 10 times as much. You just have to, I mean, you don't know until you go and they're like, oh, this one's really expensive. You need to do a doctor to write you for this one or your PA to write you for this one. So um, it is nice. And I love how you mentioned like the access to birth control and all these really necessary medications is cheaper too because that's that's really important, I think. And that's that's a really great thing. And vaccines are covered here as well. All vaccines. Um, with the exception of like the travel ones, like mm. um, yeah, yellow yeah, fever. Yeah, you have to like yellow fever and that stuff. But the rest of the vaccines are covered regardless of your age. That's excellent. Where do you hope your profession is heading in Canada? Like if you could change one thing or two things that like really would make a huge difference to your profession, what would it be? I think that's different by province. In Ontario, we are working on regulation right now. I'm not sure how if it's actually going to benefit us or if it's actually going to hinder us as PAs in Ontario. But not having to have medical directives for everything. So medical directive is basically like a document that we that our physicians have to sign off on saying that we are allowed to do X, Y, and Z. Oh, like a protocol. Basically. Yeah. But it tends to be a very large document. And then within that, writing prescriptions can be a 
hassle. And in the provinces where we're regulated and licensed, it's not such a hassle. So in Ontario, that's, I would love to be able to write prescriptions without having to write a laundry list of medical directives for each medication that I prescribe. Okay, so you have to basically list, I'm able to prescribe X, Y, Z, and list it all on your document. Yeah, for these conditions, X, Y, Z. Yeah, I can see how that gets, every time you get a new drug, you're like, dang it, (laughs) go revise that. Yeah, and then making sure that, like, all your pharmacies have copies of your medical directives so that they know Mm -hmm. that you can prescribe. So, yeah, that's a bit of a pain. We can't prescribe controlled substances, which I'm totally fine with, actually. Okay. But. I certainly echo what Rachel says. I think that is needed in Ontario as well as other provinces. I would like to see PAs welcomed into every territory and province in Canada. I would like to see PAs move and be recognized and welcome at the table in terms of guiding health directives in this country. I would like to see us recognized in academia and as legitimate a legitimate profession that is respected for what it does. I would like to see PAs become the respected specialist in something. You know, like, oh, this this PA is the best at bone marrows, and when you need a bone marrow, you go to that PA, or whatever it might be. I would like to see us really on a platform across this country. And beyond that, I would like to see this profession globally come together. It feels very disjointed. I mean, I know that you two agree with this as well, but it, it, it is a small community. Mm-hmm. Even when you look at us globally, we are a small pocket. And the way forward for this profession is to really learn from each other and help each other in different countries grow and also to not feel so alone. Sometimes I think when you, especially when this profession starts in new places, it can feel very isolated and you can feel this pressure to know everything about everything, like not just the medicine, but also the policy, the protocol, the law, the politics, politics. you know, or like it was um, when I moved to Ontario in 2010, we started to get this like, okay, well, we need PAs to go talk to the politicians. We didn't know how to do that. That's a very intimidating thing to do. So the way that happened and the way that becomes successful, of course, is finding a little bit of bravery in yourself to go ahead and do that, but also to come together and supporting your colleagues, both locally, nationally, and internationally. So I think that's how the podcast uh, Meet the PAs really got started, because we wanted to feel like we had a community and not just a local community, but a growing international community. So I do hope that our profession can move towards that. Absolutely. Like we are on a mission to get PAs in every single country. There's no reason why we shouldn't be in every single country. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. And the way we increase access to care and and that type of thing, I think, you know, it's needed. And it's funny because I think in some of the countries that it's needed most, you know, we're not quite there yet. And, And as you said, it's all different. Like, you know, in Africa, it's you don't go to undergrad first, you go straight to PA school. And of course here, you know, and, and in Canada, you know, you go to undergrad first. And then, uh, and so, so it's really interesting. It, it's, it's different and they're called different things, but we have a very similar role that we play in the healthcare field. And so I like the fact that you're like, hey, we need to come together and just raise each other up and lift each other up because that's, I think one of the beauty of our professions is, is that we're not, 
it's not like a competition in between students. It's not who's the top of the class, right? It's like we're all trying to learn this together. We're all trying to get there together. And I think some other professions, it's more like, okay, we're going to rank you. You know, we're going to say that you're number one, you're number two, and you guys are going to vie for stuff. And so I love that um, just the PA community, I think, and that's kind of the, the people who tend to be driven towards this profession are people who tend to like that, that community aspect. Um, and so we have all these people who already have that inside them and then all around the world. And so I, I love what you said, Rebecca, because we're the same. We have the same thoughts. We have a model that works. Canada has a model that works. Like, let's go and let's show them what works for us, but help integrate into what they need. So their education might need to be less chronic disease based. And for example, like in Africa and more infectious disease based or more preventative, you know, care based or something like that. So let's take the good parts of what we know works and then integrate them to what they need instead of just saying, hey, copy us exactly, because our model is not going to work for, you know, countries that aren't suffering from 80 percent lifestyle diseases. It's going to have to be tweaked a little bit. Um, and so I just think that that's really powerful visual of us all coming together, both politically and legislatively and just to serve all communities. That is just beautifully spoken and said. And uh, even even learning from the countries that already have PAs that are already successful having PAs. For example, the Netherlands, their PAs go straight to specialties. They don't train them as generalists. They train them as specialists right from the get-go. And I find it interesting that they saw the model in the States and they learned about that model and they said, well, we need a slightly different model here. And then they were able to implement that really successfully. And if we want to have, I mean, there's a lot of talk in the States and in Canada about PAs and specialties, mm -hmm. and maybe we need to look at how it's being done successfully if we want to consider implementing it. Or also in the States, currently, you still have to recertify every 10 years. It's better than that every six years it used to be, but it's still every 10. It is costly. And there's a lot. It's a hot-button topic. Is this effective? Does this protect patients and increase uh, the patient? care that's delivered to retest every 10 years well look at other countries and maybe you might have some support and with that argument because Canadian PAs test once you have to maintain your certification but I question I said well where is the evidence that repeat testing actually improves patient care and protects patient safety I don't know where that is and if that's not the goal of the test then what is the goal of the test Right. Yeah, I think it's arrogance to say just because it's been done this way forever, this is the way it needs to be done. I think you're right. You need to take a look at what works and what's not working. And times are changing. Healthcare is changing. Population is changing. So you have to you have to change with it. But I think that's something that the PA field is maybe because we're not as established as some other fields that we kind of roll with it. We've got some changes legislatively, at least in our country, that are coming down that are favorable uh, for our profession. And we're just, again, becoming more politically active and kind of trying to roll with the times because we know that the population has changed. It's not the same people that it was, you know, 30 years ago. And medicine isn't nearly the same either. Pharmacology isn't the same. There's so wow. many differences, you know. And so being able to kind of roll with that and move with that, I think is something that our profession is going to be great at. Um, and just like you said, you know, just don't do something just because to do it, you know, do it because it's patient safety, do it because, you know, it shows improvement. And then if it's not, then okay, we'll retweak it. So I think that's something that they definitely, I know they're definitely looking at that. We've got some test trials and stuff like that about, hey, do we really need to research? And we, we do tend to follow the MDs. And so they even have some thoughts about like their recertification and stuff. So we do tend to follow them as well. But it'll be interesting to see what happens with all this kind of political stuff and, and things as more PAs come, but Canada, United States, around the world. I mean, we have like three times as many schools here now as when we graduated. So PAs are like taking over. <laughs> Countries who are resistant is because they just don't know our value because there's no other reason really to be resistant to it. I'm sure there's some political reasons, but like, it's like there's such value in what we can do and what we can give to our communities. Why would you, why would you not want that? But I think it's just some old school thoughts and ideas probably that keep 
keep it in other countries? I always say to my patients when they're like, oh, what's a PA? Because I still get asked that on a semi-regular basis, not as often as I used to. And then trying to explain, like, the role or whatnot. And I'm like, yep, there's enough. They're like, yeah, we need more of you. I'm like, yep, there's more than enough sick people to go around. <laughs> right? Yeah, we're not getting yeah. healthier. <laughs> so true. I don't know about you guys, but I find that, like you said, we're a very community-based group of people. We're also very hands-on group-based group of people that, you know, we don't always – or my, through my experience anecdotally, it feels intimidating to try to comprehend the politics, the policies, and the money. And truthfully, in order to spread, we have to tackle that. We have to not, we have to get over the fear of not understanding and comprehending that well enough because what politicians really, yeah, it sounds nice to talk about patient care and increased access and all of that, but that's not really their bottom line. Their bottom line is money. And it's the bottom line in terms of keeping the job you have currently. It's bottom line in terms of creating the job that you want in your future. And it's bottom line in terms of spreading the profession into new countries. It's it's the money. And it is. Uh, and most PAs just want to work. Yes. Just want to work. Just want to take care of patients or teach or, yeah, the sound of... Yeah, the money and the politics is, it's overwhelming. Daunting. Yes. Yeah, because we didn't go to PA school to become lobbyists or politicians or to, you know, do that. We came to help people. And now we're saying in order to help people, we're going to have to learn these new skills. And we're like, we're not trained for that. <laughs> like, we we are medical providers and we know that. And so I do think it is intimidating. And over here, we have separate state, you know, run things. And then we also have national. And our lobbyist is getting better and better. But we're nowhere near like the nursing lobby or the oh, medical yeah. lobby. Like, you know, and it's just, and it's funding and it's awareness. And you're right. A lot a lot of people are just like, I just want to practice. Yeah. But you're right, too, that in the fact that if you want to continue your practice and to open up your practice and have more hands-on stuff, it's the lobbyist. It's the money. It's the, the that kind of thing, at least in this country and, and, and similar. And so it, it, you do need some of that. So you do need some people who are willing to step up and be like, okay, this is scary. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to try and push this through. And so it'll be it, – it's interesting because we are getting better at that, but we still have a long way to go even in this country. That. Even on small scale. Uh, I, I correct me if I'm wrong, you too, but it does feel like the state is now, as a whole, almost in this position of not just arguing for increased pay, because that's always wonderful, or increased uh, time off, but also decreased workload, because I think the PA workload in the state is excessively high. And how do you argue for that? Well, if you can prove that in, a, in that seeing the number of patients that you're comfortable with actually does pay your salary and makes them money, it's very hard for them to say no to that. Because you're, you're like, well, look, I, it's right here. You're still making good money. I'm just yeah. going to have a happier work-life balance, and I'm not going to burn out on you, and I'm going to be here for a long time. But if we don't have – but then how do you do that? Well, you have to track every patient you're seeing. How many consults are you seeing? How many procedures are you doing? And how and what's the, the financial load associated with that? What's the reimbursement associated with that? And that is complicated to, to figure out and overwhelming. Yeah, and really the way we have to bill our insurance is for us, it's a little bit easy because we have to bill insurance and so they know exactly. But the thing is, is with so much private practice, every extra patient you see, the person who owns the practice, they get that money. It doesn't go to a hospital. It doesn't go to the national fund. It goes to some specific person. And so it's a little harder to be like, well, hey, I'm paying myself and I'm making X amount. 
you know, I want a better work-life balance. I'm only going to make like X minus five. And they're like, uh, but I want that extra five because it's, you know, if it's going to a person or persons on a board or who owns a practice, it's hard because they don't want to take the cut. So, yeah. so it, it is interesting. I do think burnout rates, especially with COVID now are sky high and they've always been high in the medical field, but they're even higher now. And so you're right. We've got to figure out because if we have we're moving all these people into healthcare, saying so we have this decreased access, we need more people, and then we're burning them out quicker than we can actually graduate them, then that's not helping at all. But I, I don't know that I see that even starting to be talked about, or at least maybe not talked about, starting to be um, listened to in yeah. this country. Yeah. So that's something we definitely have to work, work for. Completely. For sure. Like, it just, you guys are, are as a profession, overworked. And not just PAs. I mean, it's, it's really all oh, clinicians are yeah. just... Yeah. To the max. Yeah, I'm friends with a lot of nurses and they are just they're they're done. Yeah. They're they're yeah. finished. I mean, they're, they're the number of patients that they're seeing is so incredibly unsafe, you know, for yeah. not only for them but their patients, obviously. It's, it's awful. But there's a shortage too as well, like, you know, people aren't working right now, which that's a whole different rabbit trail. <laughs> right. But then the poor people who are staying because they know they're needed are being overworked and burnt out, and so what happens when they leave? Yeah, we have the same problem, yeah. particularly with nursing right now. It's yeah. really, really tough. My colleagues are completely burnt out. Most of their vacations this summer got denied or like, you know, they weren't allowed to take what they would normally take or they were told that they have to take a whole week at a time instead of just taking a long weekend. It's It's been really tough and people are leaving in droves because it's just COVID. I mean, COVID here hasn't been as bad by any means, but it's still, it's been, it's been exhausting. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. And there's not a whole lot, at least it seems like, not a whole lot of appreciation from some people about, like, hey, what you're doing. It's like, do more, do more. And it's like, they're, they're doing the best they can. We are doing the best we can. Like, we got into this to help people, but, like, we're not computers. We're human. <laughs> we're human, too. And just, like, you guys are burnt out with stuff. Like, we get there, too. And so we just don't want that to get to the point where, okay, yeah, we're graduating more PAs. But we have students, like, that we have literally graduated, and we follow them. We're friends. They're like, I'm burnt out. I mean, they've only been out three to four years, and they're already burnt out of the ER and burnt out of all this stuff and it's just like you're right we've got to stop this before it becomes this national wide thing and all of a sudden we've got another healthcare shortage even though we're graduating more students because we're not you know treating them right so I don't know what the answer to that is but we could definitely <laughs> probably pontificate on that for a while <laughs> about what we yeah, think we could do sure. but I think that that is so smart to bring up because we actually have a lot of students who are like oh I'm going to have this perfect work-life balance I'm going to work I'm going to be able to be a full-time mom and work kind of as a PA and I'm like there's not a lot of jobs that you know are going to be this perfect balance. If you work shifts, you're going to work on the weekends and you're going to work on holidays and you're going to miss school events. And if you work a surgery, you're on call all the time. You just never know if you can leave or, or not. And so, yeah, I think that, that that is something. And I think that's something that's probably not talked about enough, at least outside of us. <laughs> we talk to each other about it. <laughs> okay. So one last question. We ask everybody this question. Who are you when the white coat comes off? I am a little bit of a hippie. I'm a little kind of like hippie wannabe mom. That's how I would probably describe myself. I like to grow gardens. I I like to compost everything. And I like my kids to get dirty and be outside with them. And yeah, I think that would be my best short description <laughs> of myself. <laughs> I love it. Okay, Rachel, what about you? Who are you when your wife comes up? I am an introvert despite having a podcast and working with the public all the time. I feel you, girl. <laughs> yep. So that's exhausting. 
but I'm not quite as much of a hippie as Becky, but I do like to grow my own veggies and be out in nature. I like to hike and paint, and Mm. by paint, I mean paint by numbers, because I actually have no artistic (laughs) ability whatsoever, (laughs) but it's soothing, and hang out with my daughter and my husband and my very old 14-year-old puppy. Um, Yeah, she's very old, and she's getting sick, but yeah, we're... I'm pretty, I'm a low-key person. I like hanging out with Becky. Yeah, I think, sometimes I think we, like, I think Rachel and I really strive, especially since becoming parents, to just relax, like, find, like, we don't, you don't always have to go places, you don't have to be on the moon, you just, like, enjoy your space where you are. Sure. Yeah, like, everybody, I think, recharges differently, and there's no right or wrong way to, like, recharge, as long as you're taking care of yourself and giving yourself some time. Because I'm with Rachel, like, it, it. It tires me out to be with people all the time, and so I need I need like time by myself to just read. Read is a big thing. What I do to relax, like I just need time at the end of the day. And if you see like a thousand patients by the end of the day, I was like, I really just don't want to talk to anybody. <laughs> like, you know, I'm done. Uh, and so I totally feel you there. Um, but I think that the trick is finding out what works for you because everybody is different. And you're right. You know, you need to take care of yourself in order to take care of your patients. So, yeah, I think that's a big thing for burnout if you don't. If you're not taking care of yourself, makes the burnout so much worse. Thank you guys so much. You're amazing. Oh, thank you. If the listeners want to get in touch with you or learn more about you, where can they find you? They can find us at mtppodcast.ca. It's also on Facebook. Um, Yes. Meet the PA's podcast. Meet the PA's on Instagram. Excellent. Welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to Where the White Coats Come Off. We are so happy you are here and so excited for all that your future holds as a PA. Before you leave, go to the show notes and download your free map to PA school. There are so many hoops to jump through and things to accomplish to even be able to apply to PA school, and it can be so overwhelming and confusing. So we created a map to PA school checklist that will tell you exactly what you need to do and when to do it, taking you from freshman year all the way to PA school. And don't worry, if you are already a few years in, you can totally catch up. The link to get your free checklist is in the show notes, so jump on it and get started. The sooner you start, the sooner you begin your dream career. We'll catch you at the next episode.